Well, good morning, everybody. I am uh, Michael Flake. Yes, I did get a haircut. I'm one of the pastors here at Lake Forest Davidson. Good to be together as a church family this morning, live, online, uh, not in the field due to the rain, but fun to worship together nonetheless. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn to grow and to change, so long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Well, again, uh, I felt like we should start today by giving out the Flexibility Award. The Gumby Award for Flexibility is officially awarded to you, Lake Forest Davidson. Congratulations. Let me uh, please receive your reward. Uh, this is our third of four weeks that we've had to... Uh, not do in the field because of rain uh, in the forecast, all of the times it materialized into actual rain, uh, and so go fully virtual for our Sunday services. I know that uh, uh, can be disappointing for folks, but you guys have been champs about it, so flexible, willing to adapt uh, to, to the situation we're in right now, that our, the door opened us is to do online and outdoor worship, and so we are fully weather-dependent, and I am all the more thankful for the sunny days we had in August and September. I took them for granted at the time. Thankful for them now and also thankful for the technology that allows us to worship together nonetheless. So by God's grace, next week we'll be online and in the field. And around noon today, you can start registering if you'd like to join us in the field. Today we start a new series of sermons called, But You Are. We're reflecting on this verse of the scripture, 1 Peter 2.9, which says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Throughout this series, we're asking everybody at Lake Forest Davidson to try and commit this verse of the Bible to memory. The Bible calls this hiding God's word in your heart so that you have the scripture with you in the moment that you most need it. So we're going to practice again and a bunch of times throughout this series. Say the verse with me. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Good job. The more often you say it, the more it'll get in there. There are so many voices telling us who we are, so many voices telling us who we should be. That's what advertising does. It's what political advertising does. No matter who wins on Tuesday, we all win on Wednesday because the political ads will stop. <laughs> Amen. Now, now one of my prayers is, uh, just as this is a, a rabbit trail, uh, one of my prayers uh, is that it will be clear who wins the different races on Tuesday so that people of good faith on all sides can accept the result and move on. We know that no matter who our elected officials are, that there's good, important, God-honoring work to do on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, not just on Tuesday. We'll see where we land on, on Wednesday morning, but we know God will still be in control. So this, back to what I actually meant to talk about. Uh, there's so many voices telling us who we are and what we should do, what we should be. That's what advertising does, political advertising, voices from our past, things we say about ourselves, 
our accomplishments, our failures, what our friends and families say, what people who used to be our friends and used to be our families say. There are so many voices, so many expectations about who we should be. When First Peter was written, Christians were being persecuted because of their faith. They were being told that they were dumb for believing all this stuff and that their lives and their livelihoods were second class because they did. And then into all that noise, the voice of God breaks through in the words of 1 Peter. God says, yeah, yeah, I hear all that, but you are, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God offers all of us a new identity in Jesus Christ. God offers all of us individually, but then all of us collectively a new identity in Jesus Christ. That when we have come to follow Jesus, or if today or in the future we, we come to follow Jesus, in the, that moment, in the moment of, of becoming a follower of Jesus, God inserts a but into our lives. B-U-T, God inserts a but into our lives and says to all the noise and all the voices in our head, yeah, 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 I hear all that, but you are. He gives us a new identity, a new purpose for our lives. And he does that as individuals, but he does that for all of us together because following Jesus is not a solo sport. And so today I want to look at this statement of identity. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. To do this, I need to distinguish between two types of being chosen. So imagine this scenario, if you will, in your mind. The movie begins. The camera slowly pans to a local school building. Does anyone remember what those are? (laughs) Students are streaming out at the conclusion of the school day. The camera cuts inside to the school. There's an average-looking student checking a piece of paper that's been taped up to the gym door, seeing who was chosen for the basketball team. She looks once. She looks again just to make sure. Her name is not there. She is not good enough. She has not been chosen. A look of dejection comes over her face. She starts to ride her bike home. Sad music playing in the background. You've seen this movie, right? This is about every made-for-TV movie ever. And then all of a sudden, sad music riding home. She has to slam on her brakes to avoid hitting someone. She looks up, and it's this sagely old figure. An old man with a big white beard is standing there, and he says to her, you are the chosen one. And she says, what, me? And the old sage is thinking, well, yes, I teleported here to tell you that, but he's an old sage, so he responds differently. He responds patiently and says, you are the chosen one. And as the rest of the movie plays out, what happens is this unlikely hero comes to understand her identity and that she has a role to play in some great battle between good and evil. Only she can play that role and she's been specifically chosen to play that role. She comes to realize that she was not chosen for a specific reason, but to fulfill a specific purpose. And you've seen this movie, right? I mean, just describing that makes me excited for the Hallmark Christmas movies that are about to come out. But the point being, two kinds of chosen. This is something our hearts long for, our souls long for. 
The fact we make movies like this is an indication the Bible would say that we're longing for our true identity. We are longing not to be chosen in the first sense, the getting picked for the team, the being good enough, chosen for a specific reason of what we bring to the table, but chosen out of the blue, the second sense of being chosen. Not because of what we bring to the table, but because we have, there's a specific purpose for us to fulfill. The Bible says you are a chosen people, but that doesn't mean picked because you were good enough. It means chosen in the unlikely hero sense. The passage for this morning, what Kennedy read for us earlier, begins this way. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So who is the living stone? Jesus, always a safe guess at church, even rained out virtual church. What does the verse say about Jesus? The verse says Jesus was rejected. Jesus knows what it's like to not be chosen in the first sense. And our clearest indication of this is that Jesus was murdered. Jesus did not live a nice long life. He was arrested and he was killed as a criminal would be killed. He was abandoned by almost everyone except his mother and a few of her friends. So when we see the crucifixion of Jesus, yes, it is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Yes, it, it, is the, it paves the way for you and I to be forgiven and live in reconciled relationship with God. And yet we also need to remember that this is an image of Jesus rejected by the world, rejected by people like you and me. But... But in Jesus' resurrection, we see the second half of the verse. We see being chosen in the second sense. The one rejected by humanity is chosen by God, is precious to God, is raised up from death, that he is the living stone. He is not dead. He is risen. And in Jesus Christ, the rejected are now chosen. Jesus was the rejected one who is now chosen. And in Jesus Christ, the rejected, you or me, the rejected are now chosen. Verse five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus was chosen in the unlikely hero sense. He was raised up from rejection as the living stone, capital S, or I guess for you that way, S. And now as a follower of Jesus, or if you become a follower of Jesus, you are chosen in the unlikely hero sense, and you are being raised up from rejection into a living stone, lowercase s. This is the image of a house, that God is building up a house. God is building up a place where people can truly come home. But it's not a static house, it's a living house. It's made up of living stones brought together to create something better. That the, the sum, whole, the heart parts, that's expression <laughs> that I love. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's what God's doing. One of my favorite expressions ever. This is what a church family is. This is what our church family is. It's a living house. It's made up of a lot of different stones of different shapes and sizes fitting together in different ways. Those rejected by people have been chosen by God. 
and chosen by God to create a place where people can come and belong and be sheltered until they too find their place in God's family, find their place in God's home. The living stone with a capital S is making living stones with a lowercase s. Verse six, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So now Peter is going to quote a bunch of verses from the Old Testament. This is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And it is reminding us that God has had a plan all along. Isaiah was written centuries before the earthly ministry of, of Jesus. And in the book, God says he is going to choose a cornerstone, a cornerstone that is trustworthy, a cornerstone that is true, that will not put people to shame. Now, as you can tell by looking at me, I do a lot of building houses with stone. (laughs) And when you build a house out of stone, so I'm told... The most important piece is called the cornerstone or the capstone. Those are two different words for the same thing. This is the most important stone of the whole structure. It's often the largest stone. It is often the first stone put into place so that every other stone will be set in reference to the cornerstone. In order to make the house sturdy, every other stone will be set in reference to the cornerstone. So God is building this living house in our church family, in church families throughout the world. And as these church families work together, God is building a living house in this world. But the first stone, the most important stone he set is the cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? Verse seven. (laughs) There were guesses in in this broadcast studio here. Verse seven. Now to you who believe, This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. So again, two more verses out of the Old Testament to describe Jesus. Peter describes Jesus using the verse, Jesus is a stone the builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. I hope that sounds familiar from the sermon up until this point. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, and he became the cornerstone. Then Peter says, Jesus is a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. So what does all this make me think of? It makes me think of baseball. Not simply because of the World Series. It makes me think of baseball. You knew I was going to say that. What is the most important part of baseball? Well, if we go by the size, we would say the stadiums. They're huge. They must be the most important part. If we go by financial figures, we'd say the star players. They get paid a ton of money. They must be the most important part. But if you have ever been a kid living in a cul-de-sac or by an open field, you know the most important part of baseball is the baseball. A tree can be first base. You can imagine the stands in your mind. If you need be, your neighbor's roof can be the upper deck if you're trying to hit a home run there. If you find a really good stick, that can be a bat. There is no good replacement for the baseball. The baseball may seem insignificant, but try playing without it. Financially, 
It's cheap, it's small, it's easy to overlook. Try playing without it. The same thing with Jesus. At first glance, we might overlook his importance. In a world of flash and in a world of bravado, he might underwhelm. In a world of millionaires and skyscrapers, what difference can one person's life make? And if God really did come to earth, why would he come as a baby? Not as a king, not breathing fire, but crying out into a silent night because he was hungry. It is not uncommon to hear people say, perhaps you have said, perhaps that one more person who trusts you to show them what God is like has said, what difference will Jesus really make? What difference will Jesus really make? He lived thousands of years ago on the other side of the world. It's interesting the Bible does not say that Jesus is a boulder that crushes people. It says he's a stone we can trip over. We didn't even see him. We didn't even realize how strong and prominent he was until we had fallen on our faces. But once we had fallen on our faces, we realized how important he was. Rejected by the experts, God made him the cornerstone. Peter writes that as followers of Jesus, we have come to cherish Jesus. We have come to see that what at first or who at first seemed insignificant is in fact the most significant. And in trusting our lives to Jesus, we have made a grand exchange. We have given up our old identities with our shortcomings and our sins, and those have been nailed to the cross. And in return, Jesus Christ has given us a new identity, a Christ-centered identity. It seems like the strangest exchange ever. We give almost nothing. We give him toxic assets, and he gives us more than we could ever ask in return. But that's the exchange he offers us the stone the builders rejected, the stone you could overlook and stumble over has become the cornerstone. And so Peter writes this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Christians are a chosen people in the unlikely hero sense, chosen for a purpose, not because of what we bring to the table or to the equation, but we're chosen because there is some purpose that God has in mind for us. You are chosen. I am chosen. We are chosen. All y'all are chosen. Because there is some purpose that God has in mind for all of us. He is taking stones rejected by the values of the world. Jesus, first and foremost, stones rejected by the values of the world and fashioning us together into a living house, a house where all people can come and praise their maker, praise their redeemer. So what does it look like to be a chosen people chosen for a purpose, not because of what we brought to the table, but chosen for a specific purpose to play out. Three quick thoughts for us to give us a starting place. What does it mean to be a chosen people? What does it mean to live into this new identity that Jesus gave us in our, through his love meeting our faith? What, what does it mean that Jesus gave us this new identity? What does it mean to be chosen for a purpose. Number one, number one, number, number, number. 
Number one, it means we are chosen to belong. Chosen to belong. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I pray that you and I don't become too familiar or jaded to this point. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has chosen you to be part of his family. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God has chosen you to be part of his family, to be part of his people, to have a place to truly call home. No longer rejected, we have been chosen by our Father who is in heaven. And I pray we don't become too jaded to that. I don't pray we don't move on too fast beyond that. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder when this sermon is going to be over. I'm feeling hungry. Let it sink down into our bones, sink into our hearts, our minds, our souls. Let's marinate on this love of God. He chose you to have a place to belong. He chose you to have a family forever. Why? Not because of what you and I brought to the table, but because his mercy is wider and deeper than we could ever fathom. And in this moment where you and I might be tempted to write off people who think differently than us, vote differently than us, live on the other side of the world from us, we need to remember it doesn't just say, I am a chosen person. It says, you are a chosen people. There are other members of God's family on all sides of the divides that plague our world today. That may change, if not the content of what we believe, the tone of how we believe it. As we look across the dividing lines and see people over there of whom we could say, they too are chosen people. God chose them to belong too. He didn't even ask our our advice or permission before doing so. God is doing something bigger in this world than the dividing lines we have grown familiar with. God is building together this house, people chosen to belong. Number two, number two, what does it mean to be chosen for a purpose? It means number two, chosen to extend mercy. We are people chosen to extend mercy. First Peter 2, 5 begins by saying, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. And what does a house do? A house welcomes people. It shelters people. It gives people a place to belong So Jesus' followers are living stones. We're being built into a living house where people can be welcomed, people can be sheltered, people can belong. We are not chosen simply for the purpose of receiving mercy. We are also chosen for the purpose of giving mercy, extending mercy, offering God's mercy. We've been welcomed, but in order to welcome. We we have been offered refuge in order to offer refuge. And that's bigger than what any of us can do by ourselves. Notice the Bible says we need each other to experience this identity because one stone all by itself is not a house. It's only good for sheltering slugs. And honestly, there are some slugs in God's family. That's how I got in. But, But he's building up something bigger than this, not just a little one stone shelter, a slug house but a house of all of us together. We need all the stones together. We need each one different, but each thing doing its own part so that we can extend the love of God, the mercy of God to a hurting and anxious world. 
so that we can show people the, the, the rock they are tempted to reject can become their cornerstone. To show people that yes, God's people are peculiar, but God's people are peculiar in a good way. For the way that we not only receive mercy, but are eager to extend mercy. One of the beautiful examples I've seen of this over our last few months has been that Pastor Michael Flowers and Gethsemane Baptist has invited us to be part of their prayer from the porch the first Wednesday of each month at, at 6.30. They have Bible study at 7, I believe, so it's like 6.30 to 7. But as people from all different congregations, our congregation, theirs, and other local churches coming together to just pray, pray for our country, pray for one another, pray for those who are sick, coming together to pray. It's living stones coming together to extend mercy, to create a living house. Not us each trying to do our own little solo stone thing, but all the stones together making a beautiful living house. So chosen to extend mercy. And then number three, number three, number, number. What does it mean? Finally, number three, chosen to live a life of praise. We are chosen to live a life of praise. Verse nine, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So chosen to belong, chosen to extend mercy, chosen to live lives of praise. There's a lot more to, to behind the purpose that, to which God has called us, but these are three places to get us started. Because when we're together, we sing songs of praise, but when we are scattered apart, the point is to live lives of praise. Live lives that say thank you to God. Live lives that declare God's centrality. Live lives that say, yes, I would do this differently, but God has intervened in my life. And so I'm choosing it to do it God's way in how we work at our jobs and how we love the people under our roofs and how we love the people in our lives and how we handle stressful situations and how we navigate morally complex moments and how we love people who are spiritually lost and how we love people who are seen as the least. You and I are invited to see all of life as an opportunity to praise God. Yes, we praise God for an hour on Sundays, but we are invited to see all of life as an opportunity to praise God. Praise Him that He didn't leave us in the darkness to die, but He came, found us, welcomed us home. Jesus told His first disciples this in John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. They were chosen for a purpose, to fulfill a purpose. What was the purpose? To bear fruit that will last. Now, you know, these disciples are sitting there thinking, now, wait a minute. We gave up everything to follow you. And here you are saying, we didn't choose you. You chose us. But if we take a step back, when the disciples would have said, yeah, we left everything to follow you, Jesus could easily say, yes, and I left everything to come find you. Jesus, fully God and fully human, left the comforts of eternity to walk this earth, to weep, to thirst, 
to hunger, ultimately to die, so that you and I might rejoice and be satisfied and truly live. And in that moment of putting our faith in Jesus, it feels like we are choosing him. It feels like we are giving up everything in order to live life his way. And yet the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we may realize how true his words are. We didn't choose him so much as he chose us. It's not so much about what you and I are doing for God. It's what God has already done for us. It's not so much about how much we're reaching out to God, but how much God has already reached out to us offering us reconciliation to himself in Jesus' name. And because of Jesus, there is always room in God's family for you. So try the verse with me one more time. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do those words, this is the question for today, how do those words change how you see yourself and other Christians? How do those words change how you see yourself and other Christians? Sometimes the Bible focuses on the love that Christians should have for one another. But in a lot of ways, that's to start flexing muscles that we can then use to go and love the people of the world, whether they follow Jesus or not. Uh, as, as, is true in, as is true in life, most of the things we learn at home are then how we interact with the world around us. Most of the things we learn in our living house, our spiritual home, affect how we begin to, to treat the world around us. How do those words change how you see yourself and other Christians. I don't know what things you bring into this hour, the pressures and hurts that weigh on you. I do know that as a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, you are part of a chosen people. You are a hero in an unlikely sense. The unlikeliest of all heroes, the living stone with a capital S, has called you into his wonderful light. And made you an unlikely hero, a living stone with a lowercase s. He's forming us together into this living house where people are welcomed and sheltered until the point that they too realize there is room in this family for them. By God's grace, they too can be chosen people, not simply receiving mercy, extending mercy, bearing fruit, godly character that will last. Come and join this living house. Come and join the anthem of praising God. Leave behind the life you knew and step into something more marvelous and less tame than you could have imagined possible. Step into the family of God. Hear the voice of your creator as he says to you, as he interrupts your life with these words, but you are. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, we praise you as the stone the builders rejected that has now become the cornerstone. And so I pray for those in our church family who feel that keenly, who do feel rejected, maybe rejected because of their faith, rejected for the way they choose to live their lives, who feel that maybe they are passed over or looked down on or not worthy of your love. Lord, may these words sink deep into our hearts that in Jesus Christ, the rejected have been chosen. Lord, I pray for those of us who have fallen on our faces, who tripped over the stone that has now become the cornerstone, who have overlooked your importance, who have been caught up in different things, but now find ourselves at the place of needing to do business with you. We've pursued the stadiums and we've, we've pursued the star players. We realize we've been trying to do life without the baseball. The simplest and easiest to overlook thing that is truly irreplaceable. Lord, as we come to that point, will we turn to you with humility? Open up our lives and hearts to you. Be willing to leave behind the life that we've known so that we can walk hand in hand with you. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is already extended to us. That you are offering us a life that we could never earn or deserve for ourselves. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as always, we love to pray for you. Let us know how to do that. You can email all prayer requests to davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. As you're willing and able to give, you can also give tithes and offerings online at lakeforest.org slash give. We love you guys. You chosen people, you. Let's worship together.